Good afternoon and welcome to Woods and Water, South Carolina. My name is Roger Metz and I'm here with my co-host. Taylor Metz, his and, favorite uh, daughter. Yes. Favorite, Sorry, Jordan. Favorite youngest daughter. <laughs> National National Daughter Day was this week and I try to talk me out of that I don't have two of the best. Just go ahead. Somebody try to talk me out of the fact that I don't have t- the two best daughters out there. I think that's the nicest thing you ever said to me on air. Well, it's true. I've got two wonderful daughters. I'm glad you, you realized Taylor, that. Mm-hmm. Jordan and somebody else. <laughs> there it is. I was waiting on that. <laughs> oh, no, I do. I have to. But uh, but you are listening to 94.5 WGTK, The Answer in Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, we're glad you're here with us. What have we got What have we got going on today, Taylor? What have we got going on today? A lot. we got a lot. we got a lot. Who we, okay, first of all, we're talking to Jerry Weaver from the... Uh, the uh, Johnny Weaver from the Georgetown Wooden Boat Show. About that's coming up on, uh, what is it, um, October the 18th, 19th, and 20th in Georgetown, South Carolina. And we're also talking to, <laughs> we're also talking, she's lost her notes. <laughs> we're also talking to Ed Paul. And what are we talking to Ed about? The Summerton Duck, Duck Fest. Fest. Which... So it actually starts next Saturday, the fifth, with mm-hmm. a with what? With a fishing tournament. Oh yeah, bass fishing tournament. That's right. Bass My favorite tur- thing. Your favorite thing, bass fishing tournament. Then on the twelfth is when all they have the stuff in summertime. Yep. So we're going to talk about both of those. Uh, talk to both those people on the show. Got a. You got something you want to talk about later on? Oh yeah. Yeah. Five ways to ruin a great hunting photo. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all going to want to hear that. Which is which is. Look, there's a lot of there's a lot of first time photographs being taken, and you, you're going to draw a little bit on your first time photo of a deer this on this one, and talk a little bit about it. It's a great article written by Brian Grossman. Uh, today is National Hunting and Fishing Day. Hope a lot of you went out and uh, went hunting, fishing, um, went to Seneca, and participated in the event down there. What um, we're, we're we're actually not live. We're recording the show. Taylor, what, what are you doing for National Hunting Fishing Day? I don't know. What do you have planned? Well, I'm going to be on. I'm going to be participating in a first responders bass fishing tournament down mm-hmm. at the Savannah River site, and and my media boat driver is none other than Bass Pro Tour former FLW Cup champ Anthony Gagliardi. He's going to show for me around the water for two days. I'll be praying for him. Take the pictures. <laughs> But that, I'm, I'm participating in National Hunting and Fishing Day. What are you? Are you doing anything? Hmm. Seeing as how you are my chauffeur to do all this stuff, and Mom won't let me get up in a tree stand, and I can't go fishing, so probably nothing. Wow. Listen, just <laughs> no. No, I have to say you put in your time on the water, in the woods, uh, participating in our hunting and fishing heritage. And that and that that's been a lot of fun over the years, hasn't it? It has. And I look forward to that being a lot of fun in the future. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, folks, I mean, you know, hunting and fishing—it's it is our heritage. You know, when this country was formed, it was part of what the founders envisioned that the game was not owned by the the landed gentry; that it was accessible to all the people. Uh, which is why you have a hunting license, fishing license, because the government takes care of the the game populations and all and we get to participate we do and it's been fun it's been a lifelong 
uh, lifelong journey of mine, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see my two best daughters do the same two thing. Two best daughters. Two best daughters. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's going to be a full show. Hang on tight. Uh, you're going to hear from Mr. Weaver, our conversation we have with Mr. Weaver, and then uh, Ed's at the bottom of the hour. And then we're going to come back and wrap up the show with some uh, with some good stuff. So, right? Good stuff, yeah, right, Tyler? Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, hang on through the break. More Woods and Water South Carolina on the other side. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. Taylor, we got a pretty good one here. Oh, very good one. Y'all are the, gonna want to listen up to this. This is this was one of your grandfathers when you know, when they were still traveling and getting around. This is one of the ones he loved to go to because you know he's a woodworker. Mm-hmm. He loved it and he loved watching them work with wood, build boats. So we've got a, a, a special guest on the line with us. He is uh, Mr. Johnny Weaver. He's with the Georgetown Wooden Boat Show. Mr. Weaver, thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to be on Woods and Water, South Carolina. I'm glad to. This is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> and from what I understand, you have been around the uh, the Wooden Boat Show or, or whatever it has been since uh, it's almost its almost, inception. Uh, yeah, most of them, I think I was a helper maybe after the first year. Uh-huh. The, the Wooden Boat Show actually started as an exhibit, a wooden boat exhibit in a little festival called Bayfest. It was a fall festival designed to bring people downtown to Georgetown. Okay. And Bayfest sort of went away, but the people that had the, the uh, wooden boat exhibit, uh, Lynn Anderson and uh, Susan Sanders and Sid Hood and Sally Swineford decided it was a good thing to have and to continue to bring people downtown, so they moved it to Francis Marion Park right there in the middle of downtown Georgetown. Right. Sid and Sally owned the River Room, and at the time, Lynn Anderson and Susan Sanders owned Harbor Specialty, so they had businesses right there across the street from each other. And this was called the Wooden Boat Exhibit for a while because that's kind of what, what it was. Right. And in 1993, we were... We had, um, I think, 35 exhibits, and then we had, uh, I think we were begging to get 12 sponsors. <laughs> and now we're up to over 140 exhibits and approximately 300 sponsors. My goodness. So this thing has grown considerably <laughs> since the days of uh, being an exhibit there uh, at Francis Van Park. A few years later, we called it. The, we changed it to the Wooden Boat Show because that was more uh, accurate than actually what it was. And we had boats. By then, we put them out in the, in the parking places along the front street, closed off part of, part of downtown. And uh, we had the boats being exhibited there. And then we had people who wanted vendors who wanted to put up uh, or come in and, and sell things at the boat shop. Okay. And as long as they didn't compete with us, they can't sell T-shirts and right. things like that because this is our, our fundraiser, our annual okay. major annual fundraiser. 
Well, the the the, the uh, vendors that come in, whatever they have has to be maritime related. Okay. And that has grown now. Last year we had forty uh, what we call commercial vendors selling anything from you know, jewelry, artwork, uh, prints, uh, wood carvings, all kind of things right there on Front Street. They uh, we are now closing off three blocks of Front Street. Wow. The uh, we we've lined up the both sides, all three blocks. The merchants downtown will tell you almost unanimously that that Saturday is the best business day of the whole year. <laughs> All a- of the shops are open, and people come in, they come to the boat show, they look at the vendors, and they visit all the shops. The restaurants do a great business then. Sure. Uh, we do have food at the, the boat show, but most people go in and get dinner or stay, stay on into the evening and eat dinner there. Sure. Great place to visit whether you're having a boat show or not. Georgetown, the downtown historic part of Georgetown is a wonderful place to see. It is. It uh, is. But we have boats on, on, on the land and we have boats in the water. Uh, we extend the current city docks by about 100 feet on either side and we'll have anywhere from 35 to 45 boats on display in the water. Wow. And they can be anything from, a, I think we had an eight-foot little sailing pram last year up to, we have had an 85-foot uh, Navy minesweeper in there. Wow. We've had shrimp boats. We've had trophies, crisscrafts, of course, just all sure. kinds of wooden boats, all sizes, shapes, uh, all can, some homemade, some factory made but all wood all one wood. of the requirements that they they don't have to be wood top sides and all of that but the hull and the main structure of the boat has to be wood you know you mentioned the chris craft and i i saw a little blurb that came out on your uh, facebook page that you're going to have a chris craft that was met, built in 1941 on display this year yes we are that, that's a beautiful boat too <laughs> uh, i can't wait to see that one come in We've got um, one one boat. Last year we had two boats that were uh, hundred years old. Wow! Uh, we've got different categories that we put the boats in, and we've got um, row and, and, and uh, canoe and kayak, and they're coming right on up. We've got um, sailboats, power boats, and the power boats and sailboats are classic, and that's one that was. Uh, older than 1960. Okay. We have power boats in the same thing, classic and, and uh, uh, newer ones. We have outboards and inboards. Uh, we have owner-built and designed boats. So we've got several different categories that we judge the boats on, and then they get uh, an award. Whoever wins gets an award Saturday night at the awards dinner. Okay. Okay. Well, there, there's a lot going on. I know Taylor had a question, probably about the one of the biggest ones that I mentioned at the beginning. This is my dad's an engineer and loves to woodwork and all. But Taylor, there's there's one thing that you you wanted to ask him about. Ask him about the kind of the main 
event going on if yeah, you're a boat builder. I was looking on the website and I ran across the main events and I was looking. Tell us a little bit about the wooden boat challenge. The wooden boat challenge is something actually was started up in, I think, Connecticut back in, in somewhere around the 80s. And, and the idea of it was, was everyone to build the same boat and it had, um, competitions in Maine, uh, Connecticut, uh, Beaufort, North Carolina and, and, uh, Georgetown. And I think Georgetown won the, what we call the world record one time when we do this, but, Basically, what it is, is the participants in this, we have two-person teams. I used to say two-man teams. Yes, but... But it's, a lot of times, just male and female, we okay. had a girlfriend, boyfriend do it at one time. And okay. I think they ended up getting married. They didn't kill each other doing anything. <laughs> but, uh, I'm not real sure I could do it. But <laughs> Neither they, could I. We have... Um, we can take in up to 18 teams, and, and I think last year we had 15. Okay. But they are, and they can get the plans ahead of time and do some practice boats. But that day, they are given a set of plans and a pile of lumber. And they, at 12 o'clock, they start, they have four hours to build this boat, all while building the same boat. Okay. At four o'clock, the whistle blows. They are judged on the time it takes them to build the boat. All right. And then they judge on the quality of the boat, just what it looks like. Okay. It's all the gap for and stuff like that on the clothes. And then at 5 o'clock, we put them in the water and we waste them. And <laughs> each, each team member has to roll it out and back. And we have, usually with so many boats, we have three or four heats with about three or four boats in each heat. Okay. And each team member has to race out and come back. And the other team member gets in and goes out and comes back. And one of them, as I mentioned, the boyfriend and girlfriend, she went out first, and when she came back, you could tell the boat was kind of wallowing in the water a little bit, Uh-oh. and it was taking on water. When he got in, he got about halfway to the buoys, put his life jacket on, and we have a series of pictures of where he just kept getting deeper and deeper <laughs> in the water, so finally he was there with his paddle and life jacket on. <laughs> and, the, and the crowd cheering the whole time. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I am it, so sure. It, it is it is wild seeing that that boat breaks, and uh, that's kind of the culmination of everything on Saturday. I got you. So that that is interesting. They have have their own. They've got a, the other thing about this is they only have about a twelve by twelve, twelve foot by twelve foot space in which to build these boats. Okay. So they are kind of cramped in there, and when that whistle goes on, <laughs> stand back because there's sawdust going everywhere. <laughs> and it, it is. That is a, a great event, and we've had that for several years, and that draws a lot of people down to the boat show just to walk through and watch on the background. But you're able to walk through the whole tent and see all of the teams as they work it and see the progress. And that's on Saturday. We were talking earlier about trying to make it down and seeing it. We're actually going to be in Charleston on the, on the 19th. But then we talked about Sunday, maybe coming up Sunday morning, and you talked about the corrugated boat regatta that we need to be there before Sunday. Tell us a bit about that one. We we started that about three or four years ago. One of our board members had seen it somewhere in another venue or something. And international paper company. In fact, yesterday we took four pickup trucks and, and went to the international paper here in Georgetown 
and got four loads of, of cardboard and cardboard tubes. Excuse me, <laughs> corrugated. I've already been chastised on that a couple of times. Okay. But, um, but we, we picked up the material, and people can come by and pick up what they need anytime from the museum, and there's, there's no cost to them. They can build any style boat they want. Okay. And then there again, after they finish building, when we have the, we don't call it a, a, a race because it's, that's not really terrible. They, they've got to go in the water and get out to a certain buoy that we have out there just to show their sea work. <laughs> and the first year we had it, we had awards like the Titanic Award, the <laughs> Most Dramatic Award, and the Best Boat and the Fastest and all that stuff. Right. And the, and the group and, and different little different civic clubs and stuff like that. Sure. People like that build yeah. these things. And the, the one that got the Titanic award, they put it in the water. They all got in the boat and it went straight to the bottom. <laughs> like and didn't even make it to the iceberg. It didn't even make it to the iceberg. The the most dramatic was three teenage girls. They got about 10 feet from the dock, and it started singing and pushing, and they started screaming, and all they saved me, I'm going to die, and all this kind of stuff. So drama queens. Drama <laughs> that queens. <was> so, <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> they got the most dramatic award. Yeah, we, we, uh, I know one that would be right in there if she was in a corrugated boat. <laughs> I was going to say don't say anything, but I guess it didn't work. No, it didn't work. Sorry, you're outnumbered on this one. Uh, well, that, that thing has turned out to be a lot of fun. And also on Sunday, we have the uh, Optipram Regatta. Okay. Several years ago, it was a deal down here in Georgetown. We realized that there has, there's not a sailing in, in children learning how to sail okay. with all the rivers right here. All right. So we started a, a little sailing program for young children in a little eight-foot Optimus pram. And since we're a wooden boat show, and that's where we come from, okay. volunteers built those boats. So we've got wooden uh, Optiprams that were built locally. Okay. And we started that school. We were hoping we were going to get 15 people to sign up that first year. We had 75. Oh, my goodness. We are now doing classes in the morning and classes in the afternoon. People start coming in, generally grandparents, start coming in early in the year to make sure their grandchildren are signed up for a week at the table to with their um, training class. That is and great. They have a ball. I was down there one time, and these children get in these boats, and they're in the boat by themselves, both of them, or some of them have been in the boat. Some of them have boats have never been in the boat by themselves. And by the end of the week, they are sitting around Goat Island. Wow. And to see them about, well, as they say, this literally hump day, and that's when they had a little meltdown sometimes and just sure. and all that kind of stuff. And then Friday, you can see them coming in and just smiling, just beaming when they come in. They're so happy they come into the Wow. Well, that has been a real good feature that we have now at, at the museum, or Very an event, rather. Good. But there will be a, a, a regatta there Sunday for that, so you'll see that. that we'll is still great. have all the exhibits on Sunday. Okay. 
still have the food. We'll, we'll have we have a beer garden on Sunday and Saturday. Okay. Um, of course, all of the restaurants are open now sure. on Sunday. Got some music going so on. Got music. Got band at each end, and um, it's it's just about as as crowded on Sunday as it is on Saturday. Well, that, that has, we just started the Sunday uh, two years ago, and that has, has worked out real well for us. Well, sure. If, I mean, if you're going to come down to the coast and see some wooden boats, just stay the whole weekend. Make it a two-day well, event. Well, and a lot of our exhibitors told us that, you know, they could do everything they can to get a boat or, or a vendor or whatever down here. It's a whole lot better to stay two days sure. and just come in one day for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we tried the Sunday, and it, it worked well, and now all of a sudden we've full two days and uh, three blocks closed off downtown. And sounds, the businesses love it. Sounds like a great event and uh, something that uh, for everyone. I mean, if you do, if you want to just well, – if you're a woodworker, you can get out and watch somebody build a boat. If you just like cool boats – there are a lot of those there. There's food. There's shopping for the ladies. There's some fun, and and we have and, a kid kids boat building uh, little booth also, where they can come in and it's you know a small children sure got a piece of wood with a, they put a mast on it. They got uh, markers there to color them and everything, and then we've got a little swimming pool there that we fill up. They put them in there and sail them around that pool. That thing stays busy all day long. All day long. Well, Mr. Weaver, I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to do this for me. I hope there's some people that are listening that will, if they can't make it down this year, they'll make plans to look for it next year and and make it part of their uh, fall on the coast of South Carolina. Well, I hope they'll come. This is our 30th year, and every year it is on the third Saturday of October. There you go. I don't know what the date is, but it's the third Saturday of October every well, year. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to uh, seeing what happened and hope we'll see you on Sunday the 20th. I hope so. I'll be right there. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> thank Weaver. Thank you. Right. Have a good thank day. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good talk to you. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. <laughs> it's not too long before duck season will be here. In fact, you know, you, you probably got a little teal season thing going on. Uh, but duck season's coming, and something, Taylor, you and I enjoy doing together. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I yeah. miss it. I miss it. Yeah, we, we didn't do much duck hunting last year. But for those of you who might not duck hunt, so to say, there's something for you that you can go be involved and, and and learn a lot and have a good time. That's the Summerton Duck Fest. It's coming up uh, next Saturday. We've got an event going on, and the main thing happens at 12th. Uh, fortunate enough to have Ed Paul join us. Uh, Ed, thanks. You've been on the show before. Thanks for coming back. Uh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Well, I told Taylor you're somewhat of a competitive bass fisherman, and you know, <laughs> she likes to bass fish. So she she's going to get this whole game rolling with something that I know you love to talk about. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about the Fall Open Team Bass Tournament. Tell me a little bit about what that involves and what's all, what's all going on. Okay. Well, it's coming up on October 5th, and it's a two-man team event. Um, free registration is available online at uh, www.duckfestfun.com. And um, it's a it's a great opportunity for people to get signed up and get out there and kick off this this wonderful tournament. It'll be hosted on uh, on the fifth, like I said, uh, at Safe Light. Teams will blast off. Uh, we have Derek, who is our our tournament director. He'll be there to get things rolling. And uh, you know, it's five thousand dollar first prize. The bass on Santee are really getting kicked off at that point. They're they're out gorging, trying to to get all the bait they can get to uh, to go into the winter. Uh, they're in transition stage in between shallow and deep. So Santee Cooper, you know, offers incredible incredible cover and structure for those type fish staging in those areas. So I'm looking forward to some big bags. Um, I think it took in the in the high 20s last year to win it, and uh, top 10 had to be you know up close to 18, 20 pounds to get in. Um, but it pays out very, very nice. Uh, it's a great kicker tournament um, coming up in October uh, for the CBC, too. So the classic final for $50,000 CBC is going to be that last weekend in October out of John C. So we're excited to, to get things kicked off with the fall team tournament. There'll probably be anywhere from 60 to 100-plus boats in there. And uh, it's a great time. That's some competition for you, Taylor. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I know how I know how competitive you are, and I think I got one sitting beside me is about the same. So uh, you two ought to get together to vote sometimes. See what y'all do. Absolutely, I sure love to do it. <laughs> well, the other thing you love to do is duck calling, and I know there's uh, there's a lot going on with the Summerton Duck Fest besides the duck calling contest. We'll talk about that. What are some of the other events that you've got going on? And and by the way, tell us where Summerton is. Summerton is. Right in between Santee and Manning. So if you're coming uh, 95 from 95 north, we're on exit 108. Uh, just before you get to the bridge on Lake Marion, um, you can come in that way. Coming south, it's as soon as you cross Lake Marion, you can take the first or second exit. But the second one puts you right in downtown. All right. Tomerton, that's exit 108. Um, right in Clarendon County. And this is the fourth year. It's a uh, family-friendly family-friendly annual event promotes Summerton as the duck capital of South Carolina while highlighting the town's efforts and ability to host all who enjoy the outdoor adventures that Summerton has offered. It's right in the middle of everything. So on October, okay, we've got October 5th taken care of. October 12th, what are a lot of things that are going on down there in town? On October 12th in town, we'll have a big pool set up for Ultimate Air Dogs. They bring an awesome show bring a lot of following so we have opportunities for people to bring their pups and and let them take a chance at jumping and seeing who can go the farthest in the pool and it's pretty neat you'll have some professional type dogs out there you'll have some that have only seen water a few times so it's a lot of fun um that event and we'll have a cornhole tournament we'll have a 5k color run going on that morning we'll have a fun run following up that we'll have a cook-off we'll have um some great activities going on in between as well. We've got some some jump houses and some fun stuff for the kids to do, some arts and crafts stuff. We'll have a parade. Uh, We'll have a firefighter challenge going on out there. 
and then we'll have the the duck calling contest, which this year we'll have a uh, Swamp Fox Regional, which okay. will send the winner to the Worlds in Stuttgart to compete wow. um, for the World Championship. And then we added a second sanction, which is going to be the Santee Cooper Regional. Um, so we have two sanctioned contests that are going to send two different representatives to represent our festival and our contests in the Worlds. And then we'll have a two-man meet competition, a single-man meet competition, we'll have a junior meet competition, and we'll have a beginner's competition for youth. Um, so it's it's a lot going on, a lot of fun. We'll have some cool cars parked around for people to see, some awesome vendor booths, some good food uh, trucks set up to get some good food, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody out there. What uh, what time does the Duck Calling Contest start Saturday? The Duck Calling will start at 11 a.m. Okay. All right. And, and you missed something that kind of Taylor was kind of interested in. Yeah, looking here at the – calendar of events for this what tell us a little about the instagram scavenger hunt the instagram scavenger hunt will just be a uh different different places set up in the town around the events of the vendors um where teens who who want that screen time on their phone uh which is another topic um, they can they can get in and and go and see different places and the first one that completes it gets a prize um, it's pretty neat how that's set up too. So it could be different vendor booths. You have to get signatures. You have to get, well, not signatures, but like a picture of you at okay. the destination showing that you met your requirement. You go to the next and you come back and, and, uh, get some prizes. It's a neat activity to kind of expose those, uh, people who want to do it that way to different booths and different things going on at the sure. festival. Sure. Yeah. She saw that and last on that. She's the Instagrammer. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sure. Good deal. Just make make sure you you look up every now and then. So oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. She. I'll give her this. She's observant. She'll see things that sometimes I miss. So I don't, I don't stay on her too much about being on it. Um. Well, that's cool. That's October the fifth for the bass turning registration. Is still open for that. The twelfth is when you want to be in downtown Summerton for all the events and all. And I think I think that pretty much covers the Duck Fest. And I've got something else in here because Ed used to be with SCWA and now you moved on. Take just a minute and tell us about because I'm gonna I'm gonna talk either the, either today or next Saturday about the uh, lottery hunts that the Department of Natural Resources has up for the duck hunts. But you're with an organization now, so tell us a little bit about that organization and how it folds into the duck hunts that DNR is doing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, first, you know, I was blessed to to be a part of SCWA and their youth programs for years and still support what they've got going on. Um, I took a, a position over at South Carolina Wildlife Partnership, SCWP, and we are partnered with SCBNR. And what we do is we solicit private landowners who will allow us to bring in um, public hunters to have public hunts on their property. And by doing that, we offer it to all of the SCBNR waterfowl hunters who put in for the annual draw. If they are not selected this current year, then we put them in a separate pool if they opt in to the SCWP opportunities. If they opt in, then without affecting their DNR preference points for the next year, we put them in a separate draw, and whoever gets drawn out gets to go on private land hunts with SCWP. Um, So it's really neat. It's going to provide more opportunities to to get drawn on some good hunts on well-managed land, um, specifically for that 
that uh, type of species and, and uh, just give opportunities. So we're protecting hunter heritage. We're protecting the, the freedoms that we're so blessed with and, and just creating that chance to have more opportunity and helping benefit the Department of Natural Resources too. So and, it's a great partnership, and we're looking forward to it. And what a, what a way to, to give access to people who normally wouldn't have it. So kudos to all those private landowners who, who see the, the value in it and, uh, and, are, and are open their doors to people they don't know to give them an opportunity to hunt, like you said, in a well-managed place. Kudos to them, and thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And those private landowners, they're protected. They're protected by oh, insurance and liability and risk. Uh, we come in, and SCWP takes care of all of that. And uh, we are with the hunters on the property, to and from, okay. and um, you know, acting as a guide or someone who, who puts them in the right area. So. Great opportunity and great and great uh, benefit to our, our hunting heritage, Ed. Um, look, thanks for doing this for me. Thanks for taking a few minutes and, and, and being willing to come back on the show. Sometimes I wonder how many times people want to come back. But uh, you, you hey. answered the phone this morning, and, and you're it. <laughs> hey, I enjoy it. I always do. And we appreciate helping us uh, grow Summerton Duck Fest and this event and what it's all about. Summerton Duck Fest duckfestfun.com. Ed Paul, thanks very much and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. God bless. Yes, sir. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. I'm Taylor Metz. Obviously, not not Roger Metz. Very good. Sound sound a little different. A little different. Just a little different. Well, as we mentioned in the first segment, you know we have a really good article here from Brian Grossman, who is the communications manager for QDMA, and he wrote five ways to ruin a great hunting photo. And you know, hunting season's coming up. We've already been in dove season for a while. Deer season's kicked in with bow season, and gun season kicks off soon. But when I shot my first deer two years ago, and I think Dad took like 60,000 pictures. At least. At, at least. Because at I, least. Because I had read this article. <laughs> <laughs> so. But this, it was, it was it's, a, it's a first, it's one of those firsts you will never get back. It is. And so you want to make sure you capture every little thing from finding the deer to getting set up. But that's one of the main things we're going to talk about is when you're getting a picture with a dove or a deer or something, and you have a gun involved. Safety is always key. paramount. Paramount. That's one of it the is. easiest ways to ruin a hunting picture. It is, and it's you know whether the gun's pointed in a different the, the direction it shouldn't be at somebody, or whether the barrel's right in your face. It's something you need to be aware of, and you can get carried up in the moment when you've shot your first deer, or even if it's not your first deer. And you can get carried away, and it's so easy. And looking back, I have some of those pictures. You know, you're in excitement. You lay the gun down across the deer, and you you sit behind the deer, and the and the gun is pointed right at you. And whether it's unloaded or not, doesn't matter. In the picture, it looks like you're about <laughs> it does. To, you could shoot yourself. It does. <laughs> it's very unfortunate. That's a really good way to ruin a good picture. It is. The next one is. You didn't keep it tasteful. Where this is where it gets kind of sensitive because we don't want to come across as covering up what we do, 
but we want to keep it respectful to people. And that's like if, you know, you kill a deer, the tongue's hanging out, make sure to put it back in. Sure. Make sure there's not blood everywhere. And honestly, the future of hunting depends on the support of non-hunters. Right. They're, they're, uh, hunting is supported to the tune of about 80% of the U.S. population when it is for the consumption of meat, mm-hmm. which is why you and I hunt. Mom fixes a lot of venison during the year. A lot. And it's it's very good. It is it's grass fed, shall mm-hmm. we say. It's hormone it's free. <laughs> it's not grass fed. Yeah, they live on acorns. Let's see at our house it's it's acorns and, and soybeans and sorghum mm-hmm. and brown top millet and and green briar. Yep. It, it is it is it is good, lean, healthy meat. And and from that standpoint, when you talk about keep a taste, where you put the it, look, it is a dead animal. Mm-hmm. There's no covering that up. There's no apologizing for it. Um, but it doesn't take much to clean up. So it's a tasteful photo for not only your hunting buddies, but for, like for you, for the people you go to school with, mm-hmm. who yeah. might not hunt. And not everybody that's going to see this picture on social media or where I said to a group chat or something, they're not all going to be hunters. Right. And you want to come across as respectful to them. And by coming across respectful, you pick somebody's interest who may be interested in hunting. Exactly. What else? Well, the next thing is make sure to keep that picture natural. It doesn't matter. I know for my for my picture, we didn't go out into the stand. We were sitting on the deck. I had jeans and boots and a camouflage sweatshirt, no makeup. My hair was a mess, but that's the whole thing, and like especially for girls. And then when a deer's down it gets hectic and sometimes you either forget to take the picture or something, but make sure that background that you've taken that picture in is natural and make sure you look natural. I mean, yes, clean the deer up a little bit. Um, just try and make it look natural, but put together. And if you can't get it, get that picture in the woods, whether the lighting's not right, which is something we'll get to in a second, make sure that you're in your yard with a natural backdrop. No tailgate pictures. No tailgate pictures, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> we 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 spent probably twenty minutes with you and yours, just taking some different angles. And you're going to talk about lighting in a minute because we were in the woods. It was kind of dark in there because it was thick, and uh, but we moved it around. We took some black and whites. We did, which was pretty cool. Uh, some of that you can edit afterwards, but yeah, just just make it look like. You're in that setting. <laughs> that Even if setting. you're not, <laughs> nobody that else will know but setting. you. That's right. <laughs> the next two points are not just strictly hunting. This could be for hiking and camping and fishing. But like we said, poor lighting can ruin a photo. Absolutely. You may be able to edit it on editing software like Lightroom. Yeah. I better say, like, he spends hours editing pictures. <laughs> Well, but I don't edit much in a picture. Mm-hmm. It, I've learned over the years, because I think the first year in 2014, I took somewhere around fourteen or 15,000 pictures at different events that I was going. Because we, we travel a lot. We go to a lot of places. And mm-hmm. I take a lot of pictures. And uh, I know we just got back, I just got back from Colorado. And I was amazed that I only took about twelve or 1,300 pictures over five days. And a lot of them I was uh, shooting multiples because I was in the car. And, you know, you'd get a, a telephone pole in the way or something like that. It's just, and uh, so it's really come down because background is 
background plays a lot, but this is this is a really good one. The lighting issue. It is, yeah. And whether it's day or night, the key is to getting as close to the subject as possible without using zoom. Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why not? Why you not use zoom? No, this is your article. Well, but you are the <laughs> pro here. I'm not the pro. What happens in zoom, especially on a phone? Because a lot of people will go into the woods with a cell phone. And when you zoom a cell phone, most cell phones, unless you've got like the iPhone, I don't know what's the latest, 11, it's got some kind of really, really cool camera. Yeah, and and I noticed not on the iPhone, but some of the other cameras um, on some phones are really better than an iPhone camera, at least the one I've got. But on mine, if if you zoom in with an iPhone camera, it pixelates. Mm-hmm. It grayscales, and it does not take a very good picture. So yeah, she's she's exactly right. Try not to zoom. Try to get close. This is especially important at night because the flash can really light up oh, a picture, yeah. and it can make it look really bad or really good. So natural light is the best way to go with this one. Sure. And if the sun is affecting the photo and shadows are falling, use a tree to block direct light. That's right. And just try try to get that different angle to get that light right. And if it's too dark, try and find somewhere where it's lighter. Sunlight between 11 and 4. It, it, actually, you know, sometimes 10 to 4, 10 to 5 in the summertime. It, it makes taking a good picture hard, especially when you can't control that background. So when you have an opportunity, like with a fish or with an animal or a campsite or something like that, Move around where you do. You get a tree that blocks the sunlight. It it softens everything. But I tell you, early morning and late evening, it's hard to take a bad picture. It is, yeah. And the next way is just in general. You didn't take enough pictures. We are we are far past the twelve exposure. <laughs> <laughs> you pro- you probably don't. Well, you did. We found a roll of film laying around mm-hmm. the house. It's been there for probably two years now, and we just didn't know it was on it but we finally got it developed what it had like 10 exposures on it that was scary it was scary let's just say a summary of it was me holding a hammer because we were redoing my room <laughs> oh, gosh that no but, um, <laughs> but we are we're past that so we are taking a picture just it's the key to great to getting a lot of great pictures because when you take different pictures try and get different angles yes again mess with that lighting mess with the zoom Make sure everything's in focus. Make sure the subject is got the perfect kind of light. And I know it sounds like a lot of work, but it'll be so worth it. Well, this is a picture of the last lifetime. Mm-hmm. It will. Those pictures we took of you and your first deer. I, I did some in black and white. There are some that are vertical. I uh, can't believe I took a vertical picture, <laughs> but I did. I always try to take those horizontal pictures. A lot of them are horizontal. The colors, it was fall. It was fall. The colors were good. And those pictures, that's a one-time deal. Mm-hmm. And you never know. Sometimes you will know because you can sit there and look at it. But like on the view screen of my camera, it's the pixels in the view screen are not the pixels that the camera takes. So therefore, when I zoom in and look at it, it may be a little blurry. The overall picture looks good, but I won't know until I get it back on a computer screen whether it's a really good picture. So take a bunch. Mm-hmm. You can delete them. Yep. Take a bunch and just remember... Taking those pictures, take some time to clean up the deer or fish or bird, whatever you've done that you wanted to get the picture of. Position it, 
in a nice natural backdrop and put a big smile on your face. That's right. <laughs> and usually in those times, there's already a big smile on your face. Yes. Years if, there, if there's not, you're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, that, and as, as a parent, that was so much fun for me to sit there and shoot all those pictures. And looking back on it, it's one of those memories where it lasts a lifetime. It is. <laughs> not only the pictures. Quickly to a uh, short calendar of events here. Uh, when um, oh, when Travis Sumner from National Wild Turkey Federation was on the other day, he mentioned the Learn to Burn Field Day. That's coming up October the 1st, uh, 8.30 to 4.30 at the NWTF headquarters in Edgefield, South Carolina. $25 cost. And uh, I'm not sure if you can still register for this, but you might get a hold of them and see. They might still let you in. Um Bob White Quail, the South Carolina Bob White Quail Initiative, Department of Natural Resources, Clemson Extension Services, National Turkey Federation, Quail Unlimited, or Quail Forever, the NRCS, USDA, and the South Carolina Forestry Commission are offering a class Tuesday, October the 8th, 2019, from 9 to 4 at Wise's Barbecue House in Newberry, South Carolina. Sounds like a good place to, to have a class. But anyway, join biologists and foresters. From all those agencies, as they talk about Bob White Quail management and all, you'll interact directly with a biologist, classroom sessions, afternoon sessions in the field. Um, you can go through clemson.edu extension uh, slash forestry for more information or just Google the Bob White Quail initiative. It'll be on their webpage. And you've got one for us? We do. October 12th um, in Spartanburg, South Carolina at Camp Croft, we've got the local hiker outdoor challenge. And this is where it's a team. It's a team event. Yep. You'll go, and there's a little. If to get more information, you can go to localhiker.com. There will be an award prize packages for first, second, and third place. Um, you can pre-register. That is required. Um, the minimum age to participate is 18. Limited number of spaces are available, so don't miss out to take this chance to test your outdoor skills and win My, some awesome gear. Michael Silverman of the local hiker loves this thing. <laughs> Absolutely loves it. Um, good show. A lot of information. Uh, I know sometimes it seems overwhelming, but hopefully it's good and it's informative and it, it gives you s- something to either get to now or put it on your calendar for next year. Hey, this <laughs> rolls around again. Something I want to go to. Well... Real quickly, uh, Delayed Harvest in North Carolina opens up October the 1st. Delayed Harvest water for all you trout fishermen. Y'all will understand what that is. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Heather, for being here. Of course. Uh, as always, make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can. And don't forget the camera. See you next week. More Woods and Water, South Carolina. Yes, I'm gone.